need to know anything going into this? Nope. You're not going to know anything at the end of it either because <laughs> I'm fading. <laughs> and welcome to this 27th edition of the Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Carr, here along with my co-host and the Wario to my Mario, Mr. Matt Ozero, a.k.a. the Moz. How are we doing today, Moz? No complaints. So the, the w- w- Wario? Wario is the Wario. evil Mario. Oh, back to Nintendo. Because dude. this is the doppelganger episode. You know what's nice about that? There's a lot of mushrooms in Mario too, so it works on uh, a lot yeah. of levels. So we'll, we'll be able to bring in the psychedelics again, maybe. So wait, I'm the evil one then. You said the... Oh, you're totally the okay. evil one. Good. That, that fits for today. <laughs> that fits the theme. You're the, you're the one leading the way on this episode. Oh, you got to yeah. be the evil twin, oh, right? Of course. So uh, yeah, doppelgangers today. But as always, uh, we start with our old business. I don't think I had anything from Alma. Do you have anything lingering, Moz? No, we have a special coming up though, and I'm going to push my Kushtika old business to the leap one, and we're going to start oh, with go. the otter, and we're going to shift to the rabbit. All right. So two days from now, after this one comes out on the 29th of February, we have our leap day special. Leapus day special. Leapus day special. Yeah. So it'll be uh, the the. So I guess we'll do some more Kushtika to start it, but then the meat of it is rabbit monsters. Yeah. Well, the Wolfman Puck will just determine the meat of it. You know. Ooh, that's going to be a good Wolfman Puck. There we go. That's going to be a good one. Yep. I'm ready. Would you like the otter or the rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get very clampet around here sometimes. Yeah. Little yeah. grandma clampet stew. You can speed right by the old business there then. So before we jump in head first. Take a second there for us, if you could, to hit all those happy fun buttons on whatever platform you're on, to like, subscribe, share, all that, tell your friends, tell your family, scream it from the hilltops, Monster Lore Tour is here. We are not going anywhere every Tuesday. But anywho, uh, I'm going to pass it over to you, Moz, because I am already rambling. No prerequisites, none. Uh, shape-shifting arc, you know. I'm breaking away from that, that usual arc as we need it. This is back to the undiscovered country of something completely different. Cool. So, or hopefully. Now for something completely different. Exactly. Uh, we got to start with some Shakespeare for this one. Ooh. Oh, beat away the busy meddling fiend that lays siege unto this wretch's soul. Today we're going to beat away that wretched fiend, Jeremy. Is that the Tempest? It's Henry the Sixth. Henry the Sixth. I never get my Shakespeare 
uh, references right. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's much <laughs> Unless it's Hamlet, I never get it right. I love Hamlet. It is one of my faves. Uh, fun fact, though, this was going to be one of the first episodes I was ever going to do, but it got bumped by the skin walker, which took on a life of its own and then attacked some livestock at the Sherman Ranch. Yeah. But when I first researched this subject way back when, this was the article when I started this episode, no shit, my first search for doppelganger came up with something in the news that day. New York woman who tried to kill doppelganger with poison cheesecake. It's a Fox News story. Whoa. And on that note, to commemorate that episode and starting, I have made you a little cheesecake. He is your little world tree over there. Handing me a little cupcake-sized cheesecake. cheesecake pastry made with love and rat poison. Okay, so now that we've established that you are definitely the evil twin, and you just told me that they use poison cheesecake. It is a trust exercise. I can't eat that. Instead of an icebreaker, it's a cheesecake. Okay, I'm going to eat it. You ready? No, don't. It's actually probably a little stale. No, but try it. It's not like plastic, right? No. Is it, is it real? It's real. Oh, this is like a cream puff. Yeah. It's cheesecake flavor. How, how old is it? Are you really going to poison me inadvertently? Um, <laughs> not more than four, four days okay, old. Right. I'll eat that. Yeah. Uh-huh. There we go. Oh. oh, he's taking the trust mm. exercise. Wow. So Jeremy won't be joining us for the second part of this. It's no, I'm just kidding. I'm fine. All right. Well, that's good. I didn't think you would actually do that. So that's it gut- is a, little, a gutsy move. It is a little stale, It's though. a little stale. Yeah. Not bad. Just like Not my bad. joke. Just like the joke. It matches. But we're going to start with encyclopedia.com for a little, get the, the definition going. The double refers to a representation of the ego that can assume various forms, shadow, reflection, portrait, double, twin, that is found in primitive and animism as a narcissistic extension and guarantee of immortality, but which, with the withdrawal of narcissism, becomes a foreshadowing of death, a source of criticism and persecution. So alienate the double, banish it to the unconscious, and it spells double trouble. Mm. The motif occurs in reality and myth and in literature, and here are the common synonyms we'll be talking about. Doubleganger, spirit double, astral double, shadow, ego, split evil twin, alter ego, physical body, double, psychic antithesis, or mini-me in the case of Dr. Evil. Oh, mini-me, yeah. The doppelganger represents a death omen for most cultures, and we're not talking about someone who resembles you today, we're talking about dead ringers, because when they ring you, you're dead. Yeah, like if you see yourself, that means you're going to die. A lot of times, we're going to obviously talk about that today. I read a story somewhere real recently, totally unrelated to this, that talked about that. Oh, it was a haunted place. It was a, I think it was a church that if you sat out there, it was like on the new moon or something three times in a row at the 3 a.m. hour, like some weird thing like that. Is this an old story? Yeah, I think it's like colonial days or something. Do you have have that? Yeah. I won't tell it now, though. (laughs) Jumping ahead again. I thought it was bringing something to you. Jumping ahead again, Jeremy. But mythically, there's connections to fairies, to changelings, to werewolves. It goes on and on and on. This from a psychoanalytic study, uh, .com kind of thing. Everything's in the show notes as usual. The idea of the separable soul being able to take on a physical shape is related in part to the idea of the double. Double ganger or double, as the word suggests, is the duplication of an individual, both physical and psychological. Yet at the same time, it is not an exact duplication of the self. There's always some variation apparent. 
The conventional double in modern literature is usually depicted as the evil twin or the tempting devil. The double may also play the role of the twin brother, the pursuer, the tempter, the vision of horror, the savior, or the beloved. Oh, so it's not necessarily evil then. Well, if it can be the savior and it's the beloved. difference, right? Are we the evil one? Is it the evil one? It's, it's very. It's oh, sometimes very, you're the evil twin. We're going to get into it. <laughs> but, oh, I think that that story I just was thinking of is from one of the readings I'm doing today, actually. That's yeah. probably why I remember it. That's where I read it. <laughs> you just cheated. <laughs> okay, I'm ready to go. We do send each other each other's readings, sometimes more, sometimes less, but. This time, if it's in the reading and you just remembered the reading, that's just terrible. I think I'll actually- I was just reading the notes I got to read, and it reminded me of this episode. <laughs> Way to go. I've just- You I've, didn't earn your cheesecake pastry today. I read so many things <laughs> all at once, I forget what I got from where sometimes. Do you want another one? I'm going to make the other one a little different. <laughs> no, it's okay. It was a little stale. <laughs> there you go. But that covers a lot of ground, but again, there's something off, which also reminds us back of what we've been dealing with, that something off component. And we're going to the, come- The not-deer mm. angle. Yes, the not-doppelganger. Uh, but here's some fun with etymology we always like to do. Doppelgangers have been around like everything else we talk about forever, but the word only goes back to the 18th century. Doppel is obviously double in, double in German, like doppelbach, and ganger means walker, to walk or go. So I think it means beer to go, or in this case, two beers to go. So it's a double walker. A double walker. Should we be saying this whole word? Because <laughs> we don't say skin. Walker. Right? Yeah. Should we? Do we have to say doppel? I'll get the ganger. I'll get it. I'll get to that. Okay. It's coming. So you're jumping ahead again. I'm sorry. The literal German word is double goer, and it's first appeared in John Paul's 1796 work, Siebenkass, which I think means seven cheeses. <laughs> Ooh, seven no, cheeses. I don't know. But it's what that's it looks a, like to me. Seven cost. Pizza. He used the double as the one who walks by the side, but put doppel and ganger together, which is how German works, and you have your body double or clone or replicant. Because Germans make cool words like doppelganger, which entered the zeitgeist, causing a certain amount of Schadenfreude, <laughs> and gemütlichscheiß or happy shit. Hat I, tip, Yachik. I like how long their words get sometimes. Yeah, they, have they just some add really words. long words because yeah. it's like eight words all in one word. Well, gemütlich scheiß, it's really gemütlich kite, which is this happy feeling. So I think gemütlich scheiß, not mine. friend of mine came up with this happy shit. I just love that. Or happy as shit. Happy as shit. I've used that phrase. See, it's gemütlich scheiß. In Richter's Seven Cheese work, the doppelganger means lookalike, not doppelganger, D-O-P-F-E-L ganger. The word we went with described actually two meals coming out at the same time. So it's like a hobbit second breakfast that you're having simultaneously. Two meals coming That's where out. that, yeah, we went with doppelganger, which actually means the two meals. Doppelganger was the original intent to have huh. this, you know. It's like we go with beta instead of VHS. We always make the wrong decision, Apple and <laughs> Mac, all that stuff. But double means double and ganger means walker. And the German word for skin is haut, H-A-U-T. So if we're going to talk about skin- Walkers. In Munich, we should say Haut. Ganger. Very good. Good oh, job. Haut. Haut Ganger. Ganger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So we just said it. We just said it. But th does it count if it's in German? I don't know. I guess. I, it's all intent, right? Yeah. yeah. There's not as many out there. They'd have a long way to go to find you. Uh, if two identical skin. Gangers. Right. Thugs are turned into zombie shamans. What would they be called in German? Du oh, Doppelskin ganger ganger gangbanger doppelganger. 
But there's a couple of major themes that capture the doppelganger dynamic. <laughs> the first related concept is the projected mimicking, antagonizing, luring others, which sounds a lot like our shapeshifter episodes. Yeah. But fear not. There's also this totem animistic aspect of the doppelganger that, yeah, it's similar to our discussion of Yex and Eichelas and familiars. But I also came across the double's guardian spirit, reminiscent of the Ishta Divista Raksha stuff I was talking about. Mm. Fear not, though. It gets very different with the double as death omen, which is support tend to warning a monster. Okay, it's the same stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that promise I made four minutes ago about yeah. not having the same stuff? Yeah. yeah. I lie. Well, it's you started off on an arc that's basically telling us that it's all the same thing. So was, how do you not keep coming back to it is the problem. It, it was quite, you know, like skin. Walker. There's nothing I ever should have done for my first one. I don't know why I did it. I yeah. It compelled me to do it and we can't break away from it. But we're always going to bring new themes. We're always going to bring new angles. We're always going to bring new stories. And we are going to look for real monsters too. Oh, yeah. Fear not. But here's the quick double gang of roll call. I like to do the around the world with the doubles. Okay. Uh, Native American, there's a ton of related cosmologies and beliefs regarding a dual soul from Native American tribes, which we'll touch on tonight. But here's a particularly cool one from the Cherokee. This from ancient Cherokee tribe and the Nunahuni, N-U-N-N-E-H-I beings. Many Native tribes, particularly of the Ojibwa, believe in each individual having a doppelganger soul, but there's one tribe that seems to have its own tribal counterparts. The Cherokee tell the story of a tribe of invisible nature spirit protectors called the Nunahini, N-U-N-N-E-H-I. When they were visible, they looked just like their Cherokee counterparts. They're even said to have allowed a number of Cherokee to avoid relocation during the Trail of Tears by inviting them to come live in the mountains with them. Sounds like the Quivatok, just inviting you into the tundra. Yeah. And you become an elemental force or ancestral spirit. Or the Kushlika, They'll bring you into the village under pretenses of being friends, and then you can't leave. These sound like they think that's a good thing. These are good counterparts. This, this is good, though. Yeah, they're like it, That's the you. perception. Yeah. <laughs> is it right or not? I well, that's know. the thing, though, is the Kushtika will make it look like they're helping you out, and they're doing you a favor, yeah. and they're taking care of you, and then the next thing you know, you're turning into an otter, and you can't leave. An yeah, and you can't. You're stuck there forever. It's like if you eat a mushroom in the Smurf village. Pretty sure that's what happens to you. You, you shrink <laughs> you down become and Wario. become blue. You become Wario. Oh, and Wario. Blue. Is Wario blue by chance? <laughs> kind part, Partly, I think. There you go. Oh, no, he's mostly yellow. I don't uh, really remember the color scheme. Yeah. We got to go back and see what his eye color is, too. The red. Should be red. <laughs> this from the Egyptians comes the concept of the Ka, spiritual double. Here's Britannica. Written by a hieroglyph of uplifted arms, it seemed originally to have designated the protecting divine spirit of a person. The Ka survived the death of the body and could reside in a picture or statue of a person. So the soul as soul double has its place here. It's interwoven into these accounts and beliefs you know, and some Star Trek movies. You know what that was, was the portrait of Dorian Gray. Wo yeah. I, woven into the portrait. Yeah, I touch on that today but mm. you know we'll, we'll get to that's kind of at the end of my uh okay. the mythic side of it too but oscar wilde definitely had a com uh, part to play in the doppelganger literary mythos oh yeah uh ireland we have the fetch which gives an irish flavor to the doppelganger phenomenon phenomenon i believe the term fetch originated in 16th century ireland and is another forerunner or death omen fang and I like the movie Fetch, by the way, with Chevy Chase and Christy Brinkley. That's Fletch. Oh, 
can I can I borrow a towel? Fetch had dogs in it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Did we watch that together? I don't know if that's even really a movie. Yeah. Oh, but didn't Fetch. we watch a dog movie or a pet movie together? We watched the uh, yeah that? the dogs one with Will Ferrell and all that. Oh yeah, that was really funny. Oh, that's your story. I like Will Ferrell. Strays. That's strays. what it was called. Strays. Yeah, we're just a couple strays. That was a great mushroom scene in that movie. <laughs> Girl comes back to Wario, man. Wario. Wario. Scandinavia, we have these double gangers referred to as the E-T-I-A, umlauted A-I-N-E-N, Etienne, which is like the, I think it's like the Enenalan or Koryak Shaman we were talking about. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. That's just you know me you know, thinking things sound like other things. But they're not that far apart geographically or etymologically. But to the Norse, evil doubles are also called Vardegor, V-A-R-D, funny O-G-E-R, or Lydia, F-Y-L-G-J-A, same kind of thing. This from mythology.net. Vertiger, or Varsal, in Norse mythology can be considered as another reference to doppelgangers. It was a ghost-like double spirit of a person, which was seen doing the actions of a person before he did it. Kind of like a reverse deja vu that actually happens. Also, a bilocation theme with the Scandinavian bunch. Society of Cyclical Research has collected a number of global accounts of bilocation. I found that when I was reading Colin Wilson's The Occult recently, which I grabbed from Bones Library. As we talked about with Alma Fielding, she had her own little weird bilocation moment, which could be bullshit, but, you know, she didn't have too many witnesses for that one. Right. Except her evil double. She she had a couple. If you read the book, you can judge for yourself. But. Yeah. And Germany, the doppelganger, is sometimes more of a companion spirit. To the Germans, they were sometimes referred to as Judel and Orgutel, who I believe ended up in a witch's oven somewhere in the Black Forest. That's Hansel and Gretel. Oh, well, same idea. A lot of umlauts going on. Umlauti. Umlauti. The Christianization version of this concept is what is believed to have led to the concept of the guardian angel, as we understand it today, in the form of an old man who keeps Jimmy Stewart from jumping off a bridge around the holidays, that guy. In England, it's more like the waft or the co-walker. I had to finish it for you, so it doesn't work, but pausing probably didn't save me. Co-walker. Co-walker? Yeah, it's a waft or a co-walker. Doesn't always work when we play this, you know, we're we're paranormal partners. I didn't know if <laughs> I boggled. I'm like, do I say walker? Do I say ganger? I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm I'm gang I'm I'm walking yeah, I'm boggling your brain a little bit. But this from a book of folklore by Sabine Baring Gould. This is your first reading, Jeremy, about the right. loft. In Yorkshire, the wraith or double is called a waft. There is one night in the year in which the wafts of those who are about to die proceed to the church and may be seen. Oh yeah, this is that story I was yeah, talking about. Great job, Jeremy. <laughs> this is St. Mark's Eve, and anyone who is curious to know about the death of his fellow parishioners must keep watching the church porch on that eve for an hour on each side of midnight for three successive years. Mr. Henderson says in his Northern Folklore, On the third year, they will see the forms of those doomed to die within the twelve-month, passing one by one into the church. If the watcher falls asleep during his vigil, he will die himself during the year. 
I have heard, however, of one case in which the intimation was given by the sight of the watcher's own form and features. It is that of an old woman at Scarborough who kept St. Mark's vigil in the porch of St. Mary's in that town about 80 years ago. Figure after figure glided into the church, turning round to her as they went in, so that she recognized their familiar faces. At last a figure turned and gazed at her. She knew herself, screamed, and fell senseless to the ground. Her neighbors found her there in the morning and carried her home, but she did not long survive the shock. Gould has another similar account where someone sees themselves in a similar fashion and dies. And again, this is the fear getting you, you know, you see yourself. Or maybe, you know, when you first see someone, there's a psychological thing where you actually, you see a person, you go back to the schema and you throw that person's face over them. You kind of try to identify who's approaching. And that could simply be what they're seeing is, you're seeing something that looks a little like you, and then all of a sudden you see you for a second, and you can't unconvince yourself that you've seen you. Right. And the fear, the wetico, everything just kind of takes over, and the fear gets you, basically. How morbid. You stand this vigil for three years in a row on this night to see who's going to die in the next year. What do you do with that information? Do you go up to him and go, huh, you're going to die? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, you Nelson it, yeah, for like, sure. I don't see. That's what they do in Springfield. I mean, can you help them not die? Yeah. Because otherwise, it's just the most morbid of curiosities to even do this. And it backfired on a couple of people doing this vigil. Yeah, and the fact that it might kill you if you screw it up. Yeah. Like, why would you even do that? Well, people want to know, and if that's the way to know who's, you know, like if you have a family member, you want to spend those last few days doing something cool because you saw that one. It's a spooky and weird Weird, uh, tradition for sure. Uh, this from good old Wiki. It's also Breton, Anku, A-N-K-O-U, Cornish, Angkau, or Welsh, Angau, A-N-G-A-U folklore. Comes another incarnation of this. Appears as a man or a skeleton wearing a black robe and a large hat, which conceals his face, or on occasion simply as a shadow. He wields a scythe and is said to sit atop a cart of collecting the dead, or to drive a large black coach pulled by four black horses and accompanied by two ghostly figures on foot. Sounds like Dracula. It's death, basically. Scythe. Sure, sure. Scythe, black hood. You know, it's just sure. another. Well, the car- salmon moose. The carriage and the horses and stuff reminds me of Dracula. There you go. But some describe these Anku as being the same thing as citing your twin spirit, so your evil twin as the Grim Reaper. Also, I thought the Anku sounds like Angakok, which was the Inuit shaman. But right. that's just me being me again. There's also connection in the UK from changelings to fairies and trows, T-R-O-W-S, which were sometimes in the UK known as you know giants. But Wraith's double was kind of a you know bit of a surprise. This is from Teresa Chung's The Element Encyclopedia of the Psychic World. The tradition appears to have developed from the ancient beliefs that a person's soul is a pr- precise duplicate of the person's physical form and that it escapes the body when death is imminent. So the wraith screaming over the moors is screaming for you. It's you. Someone in that house that hears that. Wild. It's uh, Yeah. So that brings a new horror to the whole thing. So your soul escapes and retakes your physical form because that's how it kind of identifies 
in this realm? It's a it's a variation of the forerunner. It's something ahead of time, and it because it knows it's going to die. It's just screaming to you, "You're going to die." Wow, I'm already dead, wow. and I'm your forerunner, dude. And you screwed up. Next seventy two wow. hours, you're going to do something really dumb in that pub <laughs> and get yourself killed. Or at least that's what my double would be saying. Probably. <laughs> Poland, we even have vampires that have some double themes. Your second reading, this from Slavic Saturday, brendannoble.com. This is an interesting one tying in a little vampire stuff. The Sterziga is a horrifying demon and one of the most famous ones in Slavic mythology, especially due to its connection to vampires and its prevalence in the popular Witcher series which has roots in both Polish and Celtic myths. Pictured as a person, born with two sets of teeth, two hearts, and two souls, they are often driven out of villages for being evil spirits at a young age. And when they die in the wilds, one of their souls passes to the next life, but the other remains as fully demonic. At first, even the fully Sterziga person may appear normal, with perhaps slightly more bluish skin. Soon though, they begin to develop owl-like features such as feathered wings, long and pointed ears, and vicious claws. In addition to their two jagged sets of teeth, these characteristics make them vicious predators, predators that hunt humans. Again, that's in the show notes. Wow, so it's, it's born with the yin-yang and when it dies, the good part goes away and the evil part stays. Yeah, there's two hearts, two teeth, kind of double set. And again, there's a more physical component to this double. That's something, you know, more, not, it's more than just the astral double rising. There's this, these two physical right. duplicated viscera, basically. And the fact that it turns into an owl. Yeah, so we got the Yowza. owl mythos again coming in, which will have Owl Week. I don't know if I mentioned this Strasiga or not, but there's a lot of owl stuff I'm shoveling towards that bin as I, we speak. I believe that Owl Week will be a month long <laughs> month. in season two <laughs> is go. what we're aiming for. It's just going to be four episodes in a row of Moz talking about owls. Can't wait. Uh, so the corporeal part dies, the human shaman, a night shifty, Kalit Jin, demonic energy goes out into the wild, basically. Uh, last part on that. Other folklore, according to some folklore, it's only bad luck if you see your double three times. And per Wikipedia, if you see your double in the morning, it's actually good luck and a sign of a long life. You have a question, sir. That kind of reminds me of the coyote in, in the Navajo mm -hmm. uh, myths. It's like, if it's going left, it means this. If it's going right, it means mm -hmm. this. But if it's going right and it turns around and goes back left, it means this. And if it's just standing <laughs> on the side of the road, it means this. It's there like, I can't go. keep track of any of that. <laughs> like the coyote's so weird. It's like, I don't know what any of it means. Yeah. No, the coyote stories are awesome. And we're, we're I interweave them in episodes coming up, by the way. We will oh, be sweet. doing a trickster one as well. Oh, of course. For the vast majority of these situations and sightings of an individual double, they seem to cover all the senses, sight, smell, sound, all the sensor motory feedback, just like the Egyptian version, the living Ka. In many of these accounts, witnesses don't report seeing a ghost. Only later do they question the physicality when they realize the person never got on the train or even died before the sighting ever occurred. So they see someone, a forerunner, Ooh. and they find out when they go home that person was not even alive at that time. Right, they were seeing the ghost after the death, and they didn't even know it. Yep, 
Here's Sabine Gold again, digging deep into this fetch phlegia phenomenon, a good double summary. Throughout the Aryan stock, we find a belief in fetches, wraiths, or doubles, i.e. of man being attended by his duplicate, often considered as a guardian spirit. In a good many places, we find also a belief in an evil-minded, mischievous genius as well. These are none other than a survival of old conceptions relative to the reflection and the shadow. The Greeks held that there were agathodemones, good spirits, also kakodemones, attached to men swaying them to this side or the other. And Socrates took counsel of and followed the guidance of this daemon. It was still not till Christianity occupied the field that these demons were all comprehended as devils. The Romans had their genie, every man had his genius, an attendant spirit. Even the gods were supposed to have their genie. All the acts of life from birth to death, all the vicissitudes of life and human activities, all the relations between man and their fellows, all enterprises were due to the impulses afforded by these guardian spirits. Every household had its lairs and peats, but these were of a different order. As they were ancestral deities, the spirits of the founders of the family. The Norsemen believed that every man had his filja, follower, a spirit intimately related to him, and that died when he did. It did not always follow, it often preceded him to look into the future and foretell what was to be. When the Filgia preceded anyone, it was possible to stumble over it. The Filgia was often seen in animal shape, an interesting reminiscence of transmigration. For the belief in the metempsychosis of the human soul had been given up. The idea lingered on and attached itself to the companion spirit. The Filgia showed themselves sometimes in the form of men, but also in that of any beast which represented the character of temperament of the man it followed. Brave men had their companion spirits in the shape of bears or wolves. That of a crafty man appeared as a fox. A timorous man had a Filgia in the form of a hare or a small bird. So isn't it great that this has nothing to do with what we've been talking about? <laughs> It's totem animal stuff is what it really <laughs> we got is. got ancestral spirits, totem animals, the good and evil guardian, genies. Yeah. It, it all kind of... <laughs> this it's is just not my everything summary. we've been talking it's about. It's not my summary of doppelgangers. And yes, I thought when we were doing doppelgangers, I was getting away from this. So apologies ahead of time. You'll never get out of this maze, Moz. I know. It's like I am, you know, the minotaur at the middle of this labyrinth. Yeah. There. But with a, it's a make. You're the guy. You know, I'm making the labyrinth as it goes on. You know, so I'm daedalus and making. And this I'm just whole, skipping along the path, playing my flute. Yeah. So we'll see if you make it to the bullshit in the middle of this it's thing. The, uh, <laughs> there's the ant and the grasshopper, the tortoise and the hare, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Good times. We can always tell which one of us we are. That's the good thing. As long as there's no birds, <laughs> we're fine. There's no birds. No birds and squidwards in this yeah, group. Yeah. Where the Greek dualism always creeps in, perfected by the Christian colonists. And yeah, it's the same stuff. But I had to do one little shapeshifter as double thing. It's going to be quick. It'll be painless, I promise. 
The whole mimicry thing as it relates to the double seems similar to this in my, you know, 249 episode arc. But there are other shape-shifting and shamanic parallels that like these projected werewolves created almost like topomantically. Found this in Colin Wilson's The Occult. Dion Fortune's explanation of werewolves also involves the astral body, or etheric double. She explains that powerful minds that can create thought forms that actually possess a life of their own and become elementals. She goes on to describe how she once did the same thing involuntarily herself. She was lying on her bed thinking highly unpleasant and negative thoughts about a friend who had done her an injury. In a semi-dozing state, quote, there came to my mind the thought of casting off all restraint and going berserk. The ancient Nordic myths rose before me and I thought of Fenris, the wolf horror of the north. Immediately I felt a curious drawing out sensation of my so- from my solar plexus, and there materialized beside me on the bed a large wolf. I could distinctly feel its back pressing against me as it lay beside me. I knew nothing of the art of making elementals at that time, but had accidentally stumbled upon the right method. The brooding highly charged with emotion, the invocation of the appropriate natural force, and the condition between sleeping and waking in which the etheric double readily extrudes. Although scared stiff, she managed not to panic, and ordered the creature off the bed. It seemed to change into a dog and went out through the corner of the room. That night, someone else in the house reported dreams of wolves and of seeing the eyes of a wild animal shining in the darkness. She decided to seek the advice of her teacher, almost certainly Crowley. Alistair Crowley? Correct. Who told her she had to absorb the creature she had made. But since it had been created out of the desire to settle accounts with a particular person, she had to begin by forgetting her longing for revenge. So we have this other projected astral body double thing going on again where there's a beast created. It kind of reminded me of uh, Alma Fielding. I almost wanted to say that last time because she's creating if she was created. I had that thought while I was reading that. The, yeah. the vampire part especially... Right. Because yeah. it sounds so familiar. She's in bed in between states, and all of a sudden there's something sucking on her neck, just like kind of this wolf yeah. just appeared next to her. It's very reminiscent of the vampire part of Alma Fielding. And you've read all the Godfrey's too. It, oh, it's just all the witchy wolf stuff. If you're seeing something outside glaring in or something at the side of your bed and all back to the Marhog stuff, someone could be sending that thing to you who's angry with you, and it ends up being this manifestation that right. usually just spooks you, but maybe if it's a strong enough person you angered, can tear out your throat. <laughs> so it's very pumpkin head. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of pumpkin heady. I tried to watch that movie again, and I, I just, the little boy thing, I, I can't do it. What, does it just scare you too much? No, it's just sad that the little boy, oh, I just yeah. skipped that it's part. It's a tragic, it's a tragic. Be- yes, right off the bat. The whole thing's path. tragic. You love both the boy and the father, and then, it's spoiler alert, Pumpkinhead shows up. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a great horror movie, but it's it just off. tragic the yeah. whole time. There's no yeah. good feeling in that movie it's yeah. just sad and, yeah. and scary yeah like i could not <laughs> to certain people in my my life i could not it's make so them watch good, that it's so good 
But you have another reading coming up here. I had to do a little quick thing on the double as shaman. This is from Lame Deer, a Sioux medicine man. It's lamenting about his plight and the death of his mother. He is struck with a vision in the wilds. Here's Lame Deer. All of a sudden, I hear a big bird crying. And then quickly, he hit me on the back, touched me with his spread wings. I heard the cry of an eagle, loud above the voices of many other birds. It seemed to say, We have been waiting for you. We knew you would come. Now you are here. Your trail leads from here. Let our voices guide you. We are your friends, the feathered people, the two-legged, the four-legged. We are your friends, the creatures, little tiny ones, eight legs, twelve legs. All those who crawl on the earth. All the little creatures which fly, all those underwater. The powers of each one of us we will share with you, and you will have a ghost with you always, another self. That's me, I thought, no other thing than myself, different but me all the same, unseen, yet very real. That again from Lame Deer Seeker of Vision. So we have a shaman out in a vision quest after his mom passes, and he has this vision that he identifies everything as himself or this other that's with him as himself as well so we as our own alarm clocks is a theme that came up even in when i'm reading uh mike clellan's owl book so it's kind of the same idea we often see the snake is resting at the heart of the schematic initiation it's also this double version this form of this you know oh, this this is one more reading for you oh out of stress you keeping me busy this from out of stress.com schematic symbols When it comes to the double-headed snake, its twin heads often represent the two facets of existence. They serve as a reminder of the delicate equilibrium between seemingly opposing aspects such as day and night, life and death, earth and sky, or the physical and spiritual realms, and even the conscious and subconscious mind. It embodies the concept that these opposites are not conflicting forces, but complementary aspects of a balanced whole. In shamanistic practices, the double-headed snake may be called upon or utilized as a symbol in healing rituals, personal transformations, or pursuits of enhanced wisdom and life balance. The two heads can represent the earth and the underworld, helping you transcend physical reality and gain knowledge from other realms. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you, Moss. I I just came across a double-headed snake thing in uh, Leland's Algonquin Legends that the hero has to pass. So this is another, you know, Jason coming across a monster. So you got this double-headed snake that this trickster character has to kind of go path. But this from culturedecanted.com, which is again in the show notes. Like its mythical predecessor, the double in modern literature desires transformation and difference. By attempting to transform the relations between the imaginary and the symbolic, the double hollows out the real, revealing its absence, its great other, its unspoken, and its unseen. So doppelgangers also are dwelling at Cohen's Gates of Difference, which he just borrowed, by the way, from Lovecraft lurking at the threshold. It's, you know, he didn't cite him at all in that, but I think Lovecraft deserves the credit for that. He just borrowed it. Yeah, that was monster theory, guys. But this from Encyclopedia of Shamanism, Christina Pratt, Volume 1, Lakota Society of Transformed Shamans, 
Anukite Ahanblapi, I-H-A-N-B-L-A-P-I, hope I didn't butcher that, means they who dream of faces on both sides, and refers to Double Woman, the helping spirit, who calls the boys to their vocation and is necessary for gender transformation. It's dress and wear and hair and the tradition of females of their tribe and serves the community at large as shamans. Dakota boys receive their call from Double Woman, a goddess who visits them in a dream. She is a shape-shifting helping spirit and teacher. She appears as twins, a female, a warrior, a beautiful maiden, a buffalo calf of both genders, or a deer who drinks blood. And Double Woman. Double Woman. That's very fitting for this. I didn't realize how... how ubiquitous the the doppelganger type thing yeah was. so we've got doppelganger we've got astral you've got then this you know kind of shift towards the transgender clown the right. variant the, the beyond gender shaman all of it seems to keep resurfacing right once you get when, once you start elevating to the spiritual the physical becomes much more transmorphic and less uh defining yeah the of, dual of guardians the, yeah dual guardians is what keeps coming up so, but Jess and I saw this. There was a two eagles, big golden eagles. Usually, you see one on a pole in Phoenix. Two giant golden eagles. Wow! And uh, you know, I, I think I asked Jess. I was just like, "So, what do you think? You know that? You know, what's, what's the significance of that?" And she basically said it right away. You know, so there's one looking both ways. You know, there's one on both sides. Oh, it comes right. back to that Ishta Diva Ishta Raksha thing, where you've got the two twin guardians at all churches and temples and one is you know the darker one one is the lighter one we'll talk more more about it's like that. the two-headed snake like the two-headed snake exactly double ganger origins this is just the origin the double ganger mythos we know the word double ganger goes back at least to the 90s with that buffy the vampire slayer episode <laughs> right, probably older you just can't get over the buffy I dude can't get over the buffy uh, remember, actually, my favorite from this is the Zone episode. Do you remember that one? There's a Twilight Zone where Martin Milner, there's a lady in the subway, not subway, it's like a train station dropped off somewhere, and she's just sitting there, and she sees her double through the whole oh, thing. No. And it just gets creepier and weirder. You got to see that one. That's a classic. That's the best doppelganger rendition. So hat tip, Rod Serling. But what did you think? How far does this phenomenon go? Uh, how far back do you think this goes? All the way. Oh, yeah, you get it. I'm pretty sure yeah. I've seen elements of this in like ancient Egypt stuff and whatnot. Very, yeah. Even. Yeah, because we just went over ancient Egypt. Well done. Yeah. yeah. I should have put poison in that cheesecake. <laughs> yeah. You should have put some weed in the cheesecake is what you should have done. I uh, know. It's, it's going to hit you. It's going to hit you. It's close. You're close. You yeah, you just don't know your ago. portions. My, my tolerance is through the roof, Moz. <laughs> That is true. I put enough tranquilizer in that cheesecake to <laughs> knock out an elephant. <laughs> like, nah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. It's all good. But here's your hint. Many origin stories start with twin brothers, and the first peoples that didn't have twins were probably looking for them, So, which we're going to go through. Plato mentions the double in his symposium, 300 BC or so. There you go. The doubleganger concept likely goes back to the Neanderthals. There's there's the founder of Rome, too. Wasn't that twin brothers? Romulus and Remus, yeah. yeah. So and it's in everything. Yeah, it, it, the double is any origin myth becomes 
the two that end up fighting the mom and dad, and there's this splitting of the earth and sky, and then there's a good brother, and there ends up being a bad brother, a good sister, bad, whatever. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Yeah, like you can come up with so many references in this and like so yeah. many cultures like everywhere. And we will be covering some of them today. So the double ganger composite likely goes back, I said, to the Neanderthals. Right, right. So Grog looks like Trog, kill Grog, you know. Grog, that's how. Trog. <laughs> This may be pre-homo sapien. Don't you can't get gigs at this. So there's no can't get gigs. No, no, no. Can't get No, no, no. That's not. I, I knew where you're going. You started to look like the Mars Attacks guy. Maybe I that. am the Wario. No, you today you look like the little guys from Star Wars who oh. collect the junk. I, I uh, yeah, the Jawas. The Jawas. Because I got my have, hood on. You got your hood on, so you look Ooh, like titty. a <laughs> Ooh, titty. There you go. But we have this twin theme that goes on from the beginning of, of time. Twins are the first reflections of each other. In the beginning of any proper mythos with astounding regularity, we see the split. In the Vedas, uh, and this from VedicMythology.com, in the Veda, the first two gods are characteristically co-joined, as Mallory puts it, as Mitra Varuna, the Muzil, D-U-M-E-Z-I-L, points out that Mitra relates to government and judicial aspects and Varuna symbolizes the magical and religious. This joint figure thus represents a double nature to Indic sovereignty. Post-creation, a pair of total opposites emerges from Zoroastrianism too with Ahura Mazda and Araman. This may be the best example of like the clear good cop, bad cop where it's supposed to be really you know stark like really good really evil. I think the other one is uh, Quetzalcoatl and Tetzalapoca, or Smoky Mirror, from the, the uh, Mayan and Aztec stuff. You see the mirror reference even in the nickname. I guess it would be Toltec-Aztec stuff. You see the mirror reference even in the nickname of the evil double as the darker reflection. Right. So, through a glass darkly. Mm-hmm. And Tetzalapoca emerges as the negative aspect of Quetzalcoatl. Who Bone just told me, by the way, the battles, they battled each other as far north as southern Arizona. That's according to Bone. So. Oh, yeah, Aslan. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Another really good, good and evil one comes from Leland's, again, Algonquin folklore. It's Glooscap and Malsum. It's the two brothers. And this from Leland. Now, the great lord Glooscap, who was worshipped in after days by the Wabanaki, or children of light, was a twin with a brother. As he was good, this brother whose name was Malsimus, or Wolf the Younger, was bad. Before they were born, the babes consulted to consider how they had best to enter the world. Glooskap said, I will be born as others are. But the evil Malsimus thought himself too great to be brought forth in such a manner. Did he hatch out of an egg? Worse. He declared that he would burst through his mother's side. Ah, dude. And as they planned it, so it came to pass, Glooskap as first came quietly to light, while Malsimus kept his word, killing his mother. So he voluntarily, like, said, no, I want to kill, the first act I want to do on that realm is to kill my mom. He was the Joker. I'm bringing it out a whole new door. Yeah, it doesn't get any more evil than that. Yep. Like, that's as evil as it gets. Yep. So there is clear, a lot of them are not as clear. So they have like the Hopi legend. We have uh, Child of the Sun, Child of the Water. It's very much heat miser, snow misery. But we also have Zoroastrian and Aztec examples. There's Iroquois twins that capture this yin and yangy thing. So it's not always, it's not always as stark. What uh, Leland was going into though was wolf locks of the Wabanaki was kind of like Loki. 
So they, he, he definitely makes this connection between the two, which I think I've mentioned, but it's still kind of pretty cool if you get a chance to read that. Internet archives, it's free online. But often the twin birth kills the mother or they vanquish the father or they depose of the creation deity, rendering it to earth and sky like we talked about. This from Barbara Mann. In the monotheistic concept of the Christian God was originally incomprehensible to the Iroquois. The concept of an absolute evil loose upon the world was even more bewildering. There was simply no counterpart of Satan in the Iroquoian world, since the twins, as authentically told, concerned reciprocity and balance, not con conflict and victory. To the communal Iroquois, the very idea that one twin could, let alone should exist without the other, was grotesque, while the corollary that the two acted to affect humans, but not each other, was outlandish. Whatever happened to one happened to all. The idea was to keep the halves in balance, not for one half to obliterate the other half. So if one twin died, did they just kill the other one? Well, I'm just saying <laughs> most of them That's are gruesome. more like the Iroquois, where this yin and yangy balance. It's all about balance, yeah. But, you know, it's yep. either or, us, us and them, one right. or the other, all or nothing, like, that makes everything a conflict. Whereas if everything shades of gray, it's more of, you know, much more open to compromise and molding the shape of things. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm much more, I like to live in the gray areas. Yeah, the, the, the 50 shades of the. I've, I've existed in at least 50 shades of gray. <laughs> but it, is seem, it seems like a better cosmology than the starker ones, you know. It seems that anyway. But here's in literature and art. We're going to do this. Here we get to your Dorian Gray a little bit. Doppelganger, oh, nice. as motif, arrived in the middle of the 18th century, maybe as an answer to the industrial age, or some say the loss of meaning associated with modernity. One thesis links the double motif to societal upheavals. He offers an example, Duramont's Der Doppelganger. It's being published a year after World War II. So it's an answer to that rise of that kind of evil twin. There's this theory of this historical calamities kind of bringing this about. And during the hero's journey, certain psychic material deemed unbecoming of the hero gets shifted into the double. So all the parts we don't like gets kind of shoveled over to the bad guy during the individuation process. But the two biggest works specifically in this area is Otto Rank kind of started it kind of from the anthropological side of things with the double, 1884 and 1939. And then Freud's psychological take based on Otto, The Uncanny, in 1919. In literature, Shakespeare's lousy with these double splitters. Laertes and Hamlet, Macbeth and Banquo. I like Iago and Othello as the evil double. Other examples are, you know, Harry Potter and Voldemort, Luke and Anakin, Skywalker, Captain Kirk's and his evil twin. Oh, but actually Captain Kirk's kind of split into the logical side, Spock, and the emotional side, McCoy. So they are actually... Oh, yeah, they're the two sides of his brain. Yes. That that was brilliant, like, character building. Yeah. Those those three together, yeah. it's like Kirk is the is the id, and the other two are, like, the conscious. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, and uh, but means the right brain is the real McCoy. Nice. Just saying. But Kirk was also a doppelganger episode in The Enemy Within. We discovered the evil Captain Kirk is the one who overacts. <laughs> <laughs> other literary instances. There's a lot of doppelganger variations, but the two main ones are alter ego and opposite. As for Jekyll and Hyde, you know, this is the Jekyll and Hyde category. Mm -hmm. Hans Christian Andersen's Skygen, S-K-Y-G-G-E-N, means the shadow. 
has this double appear with all the opposite traits, and this thing eventually takes over the protagonist's life. That's a common theme. And yes, Jekyll and Hyde would make it into this category, of course. Oh, totally, yeah. And here's Mae Whitney on Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde. Hyde's existence is born out of Jekyll's desire to prove the duality of identity. His presence complicates those around him, awakening passions, both hostile and reverent, by forcing those he meets to recognize their own anxieties about the potentiality, monstrous effect of the future. What's more, Hyde as a doubleganger provides Stevenson's audience with an image that, albeit monstrous, is still significantly recognizable human enough to be grappled with. That from M.S. Whitney's Wilson Echoes, the doubleganger theme in late Victorian horror fiction. Why does this always smell of owls, shamans, fairies, and UFOs? I have no idea. But here's a Neil Youngian. A Neil Youngian. Neil Youngian. J.A. Sanford. And this is your Down reading. Down by the river. Excuse I me. I was, <laughs> with Sanford, I was going to go. <laughs> See, we're doing different things with that. Totally different. It's your reading. Oh, it's my reading. Sorry. The archetypal nature of the tale is further exemplified in the manner in which the story came to be written. In his autobiographical book, Across the Plains, Stevenson tells us how he wrote his stories. He was greatly assisted, he tells us, by his little people, or brownies, to whom he always turned for help when the need for money and hence another story became pressing. His sleepless brownies, he says, do him honest service and fashion for him better tales than he could ever fashion for himself. They labor all night long, if need be, even in his dreams, to devise clues from which to fabricate his tales. So it was with the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And, Jekyll concluded, the man is not truly one, but truly two. He even hazarded the conjecture that man would eventually be known for a mere polity of multifarious, incongruous, and independent denizens. In this way, he came to recognize the thorough and primitive duality of man. Now, the reason I mention this, again, that's Sanford, another neo-Jungian guy, evil, the shadow side of reality. The reason I mention this twofold. We've talked about this before that he got a lot of, Stevenson got a lot of his stuff from, from fairies. And they're the one who yeah. told him the story. And then they told him a doubleganger story. So we wonder why these themes keep coming up. They're coming from somewhere else. This from the double as replacement or alter ego category. Edgar Allan Poe's William Wilson. It's an interesting doppelganger tale wherein an alter ego develops in itself to thwart the attempts of the main character to become kind of the true asshole he's always trying to become. <laughs> Here's Wilson talking. It's good to have goals. Yeah. Here's Wilson talking about his own double. It is difficult indeed to define or even describe my real feelings towards him. They formed a motley and heterogeneous admixture, some petulant animosity, which was not hatred, some esteem, more respect, much fear, with a world of uneasy curiosity. The moralist will be unnecessary to say, in addition, that Wilson and myself were the most inseparable of companions. That's Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. So you get this thing where it's closer than you are to yourself, this inseparability, and that it's actually, you know, we see, I saw these quotes throughout. I probably have them in here somewhere, but they're closer than even you because they are you, but you've 
made this barrier between them, it becomes evil. But the Wilson piece of it, he ends up, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read Edgar Allan Poe yet, but <laughs> he ends up trying to stab himself, and he ends up, it's a mirror, and he's, he ends up, he tries to stab the bad guy, stabs himself. Right. And it's just one of those self-skewer moments that happens. But Dostoevsky's The Double also fits the bill here. In his story, a clerk is in the stagnant job. Jay Golitkin meets his double, Silent Bob Golitkin. Okay, that's a different clerk. <laughs> but the double takes over each aspect of his life piece by piece as the protagonist is gradually driven mad. And he wasn't even supposed to be there that day. But here's a tangent, by the way, on Silent Jay and Bob. There is a double ganger theme there. Kevin Smith uses a reversal of the more common motif. His main persona is repressed and silenced, allowing his unconscious impulses in the form of Jay to run amok in the streets and alleys of New Jersey. Yeah, they're two parts of the same person, too, those two. Yeah. So who is busting whom out of rehab, Mr. Smith, is what I want to ask, you know. That silent Bob is a, is a wise sage of a man, though. Yeah, because he's the silent one. But he, but it's this different persona. Is go, he's still... He's still wrestling with that guy, Jay, who's... Well, you know, what he would tell you, Maz, with all this can't get off the whole shaman thing is that you're just chasing Amy. You're trying to recapture that old glory of the first episodes. Yeah. You just can't move past it. You got to move on, Maz. I know. Maybe. But hey... Maybe we should just get you on a on a Bigfoot arc because that could be never-ending. Yeah, you know what would be never ending. Although you just keep talking about how he's a shaman. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say there's an asterisk here. That's from my operantly conditioned mole rats thesis, which we'll be Ah. discussing another time. But back to Dostoevsky, not wrong, but you're not wrong with chasing Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. But back to Dostoevsky, this from Emmy Cooper's, and this will be in the show notes. Dostoevsky's The Double deals not with the idea of there being a devilish version of the protagonist lurking, but a superior version. Golitkin doubles as the personification of all his insecurities, and with approaching a mental breakdown throughout the novella, his double could very well be a projection of his broken mind, showing the thin line between the supernatural and the psychological with the double. Mental fragility is one of those thin places we talk about. It's almost like a a split personality disorder. Like, yeah, that would be a real life representation of this, where one person literally can become two different people. Yeah, back and forth without them even knowing each about each other a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Multiple personality disorder is not supposed to be really a thing in psychology. I had one in my office, so I would totally disagree with that. I dated one in college. Mm. Or two, I guess. Well, there's mood swings. It didn't last very long. Well, I'm just saying there's mood swings. Multi-personality disorder, according to DSM-5, is wrong. What I'm saying is I had a 1,000 people in my office over the years, and one of them actually had alters that I cannot. It wasn't just, you know, like if you have mood swings and if you're two different people during the day and sometimes you're nice, sometimes you're good, that could be a million things. I'm talking about different handwriting, actually, different, different affect different person in your office who right. am i talking to like today? they don't even look like the same they don't person. know each other <laughs> they don't even know who the other one is half the time yeah that's supposed to not be a thing because i met someone a long time ago i believe it's that the sm5 is gonna have to be re-re-corrected so you think i was making a joke i actually dated a girl i got in college all right i'm not I, I, <laughs> she showed up if like, we both met 
we had, know, we had been, we had been hanging out for a few weeks mm-hmm. and I go to class one day. I didn't think she was there because we had a couple classes together. I go to one of the class. I hadn't talked to her in a couple of days. And I literally, and she had like one of her best friends was in the, like from high school and stuff was in college with her. And she, you know, she was in that class as well. And I showed up one day. I didn't think she was there after class. I went up to a friend. I'm like, Hey, where's she at? And she like points. I'm like, whoa like once she did that i was like oh my god that's her and she's like well not today no she said that it was yeah her friend said her friend had to explain but she was not the girl i had been seeing for she would short bouts where she would literally be somebody else yeah yeah dissociative disorders and what are we going is anyway for another episode now we have okay. two versions okay. that we met people that that do that and again that's not supposed to be a thing from the mental health right. community anymore right. which is pretty interesting so back to that guy who coined the phrase double ganger jean paul richter his work sieben case the seven cheeses the double is a friend who looks like him so they agree to switch places like strangers on a train if you remember that Except they are friends and they just want to swap lives and wives and stuff. So they're kind of double swingers going on. Okay. <laughs> double swingers. Nice. Yeah. We're going to wrap this up a little bit, but there's a rumor still swirling that a guy, and when I say wrap it up, I mean this section. So hang in there, kids. But there's a rumor still swirling that Guy de Maupassant, short story La Horla, was written by his doppelganger. So there's this kind of wow. understanding. And again, it could be just the little brownies talking to Stevenson, or it could be. Was Gosh. Shakespeare Francis Bacon's doppelganger? No. I mean, Christopher Marlowe maybe, but mm. I don't know. Uh, Bacon is is the mm. is the Aristotle. What, what, how could you, you even? You know about all the theories that Francis Bacon wrote those plays. He did not. Oh, wow. Okay. I think Christopher Marlowe is an We argument. have ourselves a scully muggle on There's the Shakespeare arg- front here, there, people. Well, I'd say Shakespeare was an amalgamation of a lot of things, but Bacon... You know, it's just, you know. <laughs> so are you saying Shakespeare was a chimeric therianthrope? Is that what you're saying? Well, you're, what you're saying is Bacon split and he has this Aristotle side that he showed to the world and then he had this other creative side that that was the other double. Right. Ah, okay. okay. All right. I'd see That's exactly that. what I meant by that. Yeah. Okay. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, okay. I'm glad we explained it to each other. <laughs> <laughs> but basically wrapping up. Oh, there's also this cool painting by Dante Rossetti. 51 how they met themselves it's this couple meeting in the woods and they spook each other because it's like two people meet four people it's the same couple running into themselves and they just get off and the painting is they're all freaked out you know is that a doppel doppelganger yeah a quad quad. it's a double double yeah yeah so oh a quadle ganger yep and this same may whitney 2015 breaks the literary victorian doppelganger into three primary stages recognition you understand there's a double there's an inversion of power either psychically or physically or taking over your life then there's the final destruction so that's the it always seems to end badly for most of our uh, folks who have to deal with whether we're talking about mythical literary or reality the double ganger seems to be a bad bad road right <laughs> well yeah. there should really only be one of each of us at a time yeah. It causes problems when there's more than one of each of us at a time, I think, just inherently. Exactly. I mean, if it was four of us, that would be a terrible podcast. Oh, even God. worse. Even worse. I don't know if I could stand myself for more than 10 <laughs> minutes at a time. <laughs> We're going to find out. 
We're hoping our we seven are? viewers are going to double to 14. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. But here's some and, of... And you're still calling them viewers. I love you, guys. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> they're viewing... Audio podcast. They're was. staring at their <laughs> iPhones. I don't know what they're doing. I don't they're, want your kids to do that. They're astrally today. projecting yes. so that they can see an image of us while they listen. Correct. It's that hysterical blindness you're when talking about. When he says about. viewing, he means like remote viewing. Yes. Exactly. Because See, this is MLT. We're talking the same language that makes no sense. And no, matter, no sense at all. No that made no sense. At it. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to some real encounters, other non-fictional characters back from literary realms into reality. Uh, John Donne saw his doubleganger Goethe, Lincoln, and Catherine the Great. Mm. Oh, gosh. John Donne's account is particularly creepy as he saw his wife's double twice. Both occurred in Paris. When he returned from his trip, he found out she had lost her baby during childbirth oh. that very night. One of the most famous doubleganger accounts comes from Lincoln. I'm sure everybody knows this one. Bear with us. Shortly after his election, this from Wallachinsky, David and Wallace Irving, The People's Almanac, one of your last readings, but it's what Lincoln saw in the mirror, which some of you might have heard, but this is the whole account. Opposite where I lay was a bureau with a swinging glass upon it, and here he got up and placed furniture to illustrate the position. And looking in that glass, I saw myself reflected nearly at full length, but my face I noticed had two separate and distinct images. The tip of the nose of one being about three inches from the tip of the other. I was a little bothered, perhaps startled, and got up and looked in the glass, but the illusion vanished. On lying down again, I saw it a second time, plainer, if possible, than before. And then I noticed that one of the faces was a little paler, say five shades, than the other. I got up, and the thing melted away, and I went off, and in the excitement of the hour, forgot all about it. Nearly, but not quite. For the thing would once in a while come up and give me a little pang as if something uncomfortable had happened. When I went home again that night, I told my wife about it. And a few days afterward, I made the experiment again when with a laugh, sure enough, the thing came back again. But I never succeeded in bringing the ghost back after that. Though I once tried very industriously to show it to my wife, who was somewhat worried about it. She thought it was a sign that I was to be elected to a second term of office and that the paleness of one of the faces was an omen that I should not see life through the last term. Well done, Mr. Lincoln. Oh, you know, you just mentioned Dorian Gray, and of course, I, that's the one I jumped over. So, Well, that's because you don't like me, Moss. Yeah, I just knocked it out. But I, I did have a struggle with the doppelganger as Dorian Gray, you know, like that whole theme of the mirror. and the. But basically, the ultimate... It, it's basically this sense of loss of beauty in art. Right. That's kind of the, what Wilde was getting at. But his own doppelganger, obviously, is in the mirror and, and, and getting, you know. It's well, it was this, it was almost someone created the doppelganger to absorb the bad that he did yeah. so that he wouldn't have to suffer the repercussions of his own actions kind it's, of thing. It's Jekyll and Hyde because, you know, that very, was Hyde very. because – Hyde was where he, you know, Jekyll could shovel all that over. In the beginning, he liked it. He's like, wow, I get this. I get to just roam around the alleys and do what I want. Right. You know? It Let feels the, like it freedom. 
it, it's Kevin Smith and and Jay again. You know? No. So. Oh, I should Jay and Silent Bob. I should probably use the characters' names. (laughs) It could be real. Art mimics life. Remember that. Yeah. But no, good reading on the Lincoln one, and uh, we have another. I think we've kind of got a couple little more highlighty stories. But the other one is uh, the Shelleys. Mary and Percy had a doppelganger theme. Before we leave Lincoln, though, there's the Mary Todd Lincoln side of it, and she actually was pretty much a medium and kind of had this. So there's two sides of what he saw and what she saw. Same with uh, the Shelleys, Mary and Percy Shelley. They both had doppelganger themes based on Percy's death. Uh, you know, this is, again, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and Percy is Prometheus bound. And they had, they both had their, you know, like Mary had a, a view of his death, his, her husband's death, and he had a view of his own death. Yeah. Uh, and Mary Shelley coming into this, I mean, Frankenstein and his monster... That's a very doppelgangery sort of story, right? Yeah, and so is Prometheus bound in its own way. Yeah. Percy's. Yeah. So there was these connections within connections within connections. That very strange. What I want to skip today is the stuff you were talking about, Dorian Gray, and jump right to something more important: my Futurama theorem, the Farnsworth paradox. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Dun dun dun. <laughs> but if you watch the Futurama doppelganger episode. They look just like their counterparts. Right. And why are you not surprised by that? Because they're doppelgangers. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you don't understand. (laughs) They look just like they're, except Zoidberg was blue in this one. Oh, right, right. The blue Zoidberg, yeah. Yes. But anyway, I think that's an important, you know, thing to mention that that one is probably more powerful, a doppelganger example than than most. When you can't tell which one's the evil one, it's you. (laughs) We're going to get to that. Yeah, <laughs> It's like when Spock has a beard. Buffy had a mouth scar thing during her doppelganger. Oh, that's it. cool. And then uh, Kirk's evil twin wore a lot of mascara. Yeah. The other ones from, from. Yeah, that evil Spock was cool, man. No, no, I wanted to hang out yeah, with that with, guy. That was the beard, yeah, from yeah, the, 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 the like The goatee. The little thin mustache yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. He looked very uh, snidely whiplash. Yeah. And Kirk's evil twin, that was from Enemy Within. He had a lot of mascara, and he was overacting yeah. even more than usual. So that's how that all went More down. than usual? I didn't know that was a yeah, thing. Yeah, and it shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. it, and yet it happens. Yeah. So we got your ninth reading, Jeremy, to read this highlight story, which we'll discuss. Okay. Did you know that William Shatner starred in the only full-length feature ever produced in the language of Esperanto? Nice. What does that even mean? Say say again. Esperanto was a language developed, I think it was the UN, uh, to try to create some sort of universal language that everyone could speak at the Babel. same time. Babel, yeah. the Babel fish. Yeah, un- undo the, rebuild the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. essentially. Nice. It's an app now. We don't need that shit. But anywho, I'm going to read this for you. Oh, and by the way, this is from Tracing the Development of the Doppelganger, Atlas Obscura. Linda Derry, site director at the old Cahaba ghost town in Alabama, is a curator of folklore originating from that region. She has uncovered several cases with similar circumstances as Lincoln's sightings. An 1884 issue of Sunny South tells of a county clerk from Cahaba who contracted malaria. One night, shivering and unable to sleep, he saw the shadow of a man enter his room. As the visitor approached his bed, 
the clerk saw in the dim light that the face looking down on him was his own. When the same incident occurred the next night, the clerk called for two friends to corroborate his story. The two men, both practical farmers, arrived as soon as they could. The farmers kept watch as their friend tried to sleep, and were startled late in the night as the figure of the clerk himself stepped into the candlelight. The men approached the double, which retreated into the shadows. They never saw the visitor again, and the clerk succumbed to his sickness soon after that final encounter. Addressing the prevalence of historical doppelganger accounts, Catherine Crow writes in The Night Side of Nature, or Ghosts and Ghost Seers, quote, we might indeed get rid of them by denying them, but the instances are too numerous, and the phenomenon has been too well known in all ages to be set aside so easily. I think that's where I'm at. I don't know how we set aside all this stuff so easily. Now, Alma Fielding may or may not be true, but again, we just came across another doppelganger story the last episode. There's a lot of these stories of, of, of folks throughout well, History. yeah, and, and that's ubiquitous through all this stuff, too. I mean, look at the alien abduction thing where mm -hmm. people from all over the world, from all different cultures with no connections whatsoever, are experiencing basically the exact same experiences. Yeah. And, you know, the Bigfoot sightings and the fairy sightings, all these things, they all play into that where how can this be happening this often to this many people in the same way and not have something behind it? Right. And the something. I'm not saying we know out. what it is. Oh, but we're going to know something the behind it. What, whatever, we're 27 by 52. We're going to know what it is. And wow. Then, then that, it comes for you, is my understanding. That's the problem. <laughs> then you, once you figure it out, you're gone. Yeah. Then they're not happy with you anymore. Yeah. So good luck. It was good knowing everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> if we're not back next week, it means we figured it out. Send flower in lieu of flowers. Please send to this charity. But here's Robert Lyman's doppelganger story. And I again, I got this story because it happened to be at the Black Forest region of Pennsylvania, an area that I'm familiar with. And there's a doppelganger story there. And this is one of your last readings. But I found a doppelganger story from the 1850s in this tale from oh, wow. a region I'm familiar. Oh, wow. Okay. My father, Samuel Fouts, was born at Hammersley Fork, April 1855. He worked in the woods during the lumbering days and helped to chop down the trees his grandfather had heard about long before it happened. My mother was on the front porch rocking her baby. She saw my father coming across the creek with his team of horses. She thought she would carry her baby and walk out to meet him. When she did, no one was there. Not a trace of her husband could she see. He arrived home much later in the evening. People told her it was a sign or omen that someone was going to die. Sure enough, it was his father. I know this account is true because I never knew my mother to tell a lie. So again, the 1800s, we have the story of someone who says, you know, my mom never lied. She saw, you know, what was clearly the father coming home. She rushes out to meet him and no one's there and he comes back. A long time later, and then someone does die, the, the father of the husband, yeah. basically. So there's these weird, you know, and again, throughout history, this seems to be happening. Here's some other monsters with a double. This from Teresa Bain's Beast Jerry, the Cambions, C-A-M-B-I-O-N-S. 
From post-medieval Europe, demonology comes the belief in the existence of a demonic hybrid offspring called the Cambion, believed to be created when an incubus and a human woman, when a succubus and a human male had a child together. Cambion child can be easily detected, so we born with a deformity of some sort. Twins are especially susceptible to becoming Cambions. The hybrid will develop the same as any child would, before the age of seven, they show little to no signs of life. So these hmm. are changelings, double demons, something yeah. off humans spawning with demons. And they have that slightly dysmorphic thing again, too. Right. That something not deer off. theme running through everything. Yeah. Not, not brother. And some of the ones who are supposed to be Cambians throughout history are Alexander the Great, Caesar, Augustus, Martin Luther, Merlin, King Arthur folklore, Plato, Romulus, and Remus. Scipio Africanus, and the father of William the Conqueror. So that again from Teresa Bain's bestiary. You know what Merlin's secret was? Go, he moved, tell me. He moved through time backwards, so he knew everything that was going to happen, but nothing that already had happened. Do you know that's exactly what happened in Mork and Mork and Ork? Like they would go grow younger, and eventually they get like Jonathan Winters oh, climbs right, into the egg out. at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not really the same thing. They age backwards. Merlin actually went through time, time backwards. backwards. I like it. Yeah. It's, where'd you get that th- that thesis? God, that's been my brain so long. I don't even know. I did steal it from somebody. I'm not taking credit for it. I like it, but it's been in my brain way too long for me to remember where. Well, it now it's came out of from. your brain. Good job. Good job. It's free. Yep. And you have your last reading of the day, the Karen, Q-A-R-I-N-A-H. The Quirin, or feminine Karina, is a companion jinn that is assigned to a person at birth and stays with that person throughout life, unless specifically banished by ritual. The Quarren is called a double and a brother or sister who lives below the earth. As an attached and lifelong companion, the Quarren bears similarities to the daemon of Greek lore and the guardian angel of Christian lore. Like the daemon, the Quarren whispers in a person's ear to urge him or her either in the direction of good or evil, or both. By some accounts, the Garin's primary purpose is to seduce and lead its assigned person astray by whispering temptations in the ear. Quarin also refers to a human who is an unbeliever and also leads a Muslim astray. By other accounts, the Quarin is more like a guardian angel, providing companionship, comfort, and protection, including against illnesses and possession by other jinn. The Quarren knows everything about its assigned person, including all of his or her weaknesses. Giving in to temptation and evil feeds the Quarren and enables it to gain in power and strength. Leading a righteous life weakens it. So that from the Jin Connection, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. So we've got this other demon thing going on. That's very reminiscent uh, the the Native American side of things. They kind of have a thing where it's like you're born with an angel and a demon inside of you. Yes. It's like an eagle and a wolf or whatever. Yeah. And they're both equal and you can, and whichever one grows the stronger all depends on which one you feed more. Yeah. That's from the, you feed the good, the good gets stronger. You feed the bad, the bad gets stronger. But a lot of people will say the ideal is to have them in perfect balance, feed them both equally. Right. 
a lot of people hear that and they're like, oh, well, I'm just going to feed the good. But a lot of the stories come out, you got to feed them both equally. Yeah. That's the tale of the two wolves is where that's from. Yeah, there you go. So, but lastly, we have a monster theory. I thought this was a really cool one. Uh, fusion versus fission monsters. Oh. This is getting into monster theory a little bit. We got our segments. It's only one long, you know, we're going to go into depth psychology a little bit, but we've reached our segments. Uh, Dracula and the Frankenstein monsters are creatures of fusion, while doppelgangers, alter egos, and werewolves are monsters of fission. Although fusion and fission generate a huge diversity of symbolic biologies in horror films, there are other ways of visualizing the monstrous, such as through the magnification of power or size, as in the case of giant insects or other exaggerated animalcules, animalcules, animal with C-U-L-E-S. And that from Picard, C.J.S. Browning, Johnny, speaking of monsters, a tetralogical anthology. It's like the Herculoids, I guess, anim- animalcules. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. But Frank's Well, it's like molecules. It's animals that are made up of pieces. That's the fusion part. It's like being, it's like a chimerism kind of thing. Chimerism and, fu- and, and, and Frankenstein are the fusion side. Right. And some of these other things we've been talking about are more the fission. We talk about fission more in this episode, but Frankenstein's fusion. And then on atomic level, fission is when a neutron bashes into an atom, exciting it, causing it to split into two. So you're Jekyll and Hyde. Right. It's either your Wendigo. The, the, the morphing together versus the splitting apart. Right. Yeah. Right. So the double is split. So the double gang we're talking about today is fission. Uh, it's liberated by it. Uh, so what's the shaman then is what I ask. What are those theranthropic totem animal stuff we're talking about? Uh, they are radioactive. <laughs> no, excuse me. Where are does all fission? the waste go is my question. Are all this fusion. fission or fusion? Fission or fusion. Uh, this is a tough one. So I don't, that's kind of it's it, ontologically yeah, bizarre. The way I'm looking at like because they do connect with all those other creatures, but they don't actually. Well, I guess they do in a way become one. I'm going to go with fusion. Yeah, I because I'm going to go with fission, and we're two opposites. That makes sense. But I struggle with it too. I mean, it is. Yeah, like it, I'd it, have to the, really the think shaman that through. Is is going down to the nitty gritty, but it's finding something within itself. Right. But is it something? It comes back to outside or inside. Here's the thing: the shamanic trials, mm-hmm. they literally tear you apart and put you back together. What is that? Right. It's both. It's both because yeah, it's, it's ontologically like is it outside of you or is it is it something that was always inside of you coming out, in which case it would be fission, yeah. or is it stuff from the outside coming within, in which case it would be fusion? I say fission, and it comes down to that old argument in the shamanic community of is the flesh part of the actual self? I know, and that's because if it yeah. is, and getting torn, your flesh torn apart and replaced, yeah, and if it isn't, yeah, and getting, I mean, it makes it two different things, yeah. Exactly. But that's a that's a long debate. Yes. We're gonna have to have a round table with some philosophers and yeah. paranormalists and Brains stuff on that. Bigger at some than point. ours to figure out figure out fission or fusion of the shaman itself. So I don't I don't know. Best defense against your double ganger? Uh, when you see it, just just shoot your double ganger. You know, it'll do the same to you. He or she will do the same to you, so you gotta act quickly. I think the best defense against your doppelganger is to be the evil one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, then the, then it's the other one that has to worry about you. <laughs> exactly. Beat him to the punch. Yeah. Exactly. For Us Files today, and we do have an Us Files There's today. an Us Files for this? 
but then something happened. It happened to me. Well, it's the... We it's, always forget to do our bumper. I'm going to have to squeeze that in. It's moved to the side trail because if we ah. have a gazillion episodes, you're not going to have a sillier doppelganger. I have a John Cusack, <laughs> me, John Cusack, and a, a 40 style detective, an old gumshoe. It's definitely going to be a different sort of style story. of side trail. Yes. But very worth checking out. This is what you're definitely going to want to listen to. Yes. Yeah, when I fall into a cartoon sketch in my trickster self, it really is. It's like out. something out of a movie. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is a ridiculous story. It's like but something out of a Wes Anderson movie or something. <laughs> something out of something. I'll just say that. But back to our scientific theories, real quick. Building off Stephen Hawking's, we have the multiverse theory. So a professor from Columbia, Brian Green, believes double gangers are very real, the product of alternate or parallel dimensions. Just a true other version of yourself. Yes, and that, that's from the hidden reality, parallel universes, and the deep laws of the cosmos, which I have not read, but my evil genius has. Uh, always one step ahead of me, that guy, which is why we have to shoot him. That's why he's the genius. Ah. But two, the psychologists often mention hoidoscopy, H-E-A-U-T-O, Scopy for the doppelganger effect as a common trope. It's seeing yourself at a distance. This is linked to not only epilepsy but schizophrenia as well. We'll see that overlap again. We just saw it in the last side trail for um fielding. Yeah, we're going to keep seeing it. Three, we talked about bilocation. This from Teresa Chung's uh, Encyclopedia of the Psychic World. Eileen Garrett, a medium from back in the day, takes this a step further, according to the. This encyclopedia, she believes the double is a clairvoyant projection that can be manipulated to develop supernatural powers. So you're filling in your evil twin to become this evil twin. That actually falls into some of that Alma Fielding stuff too. Right. The the countesses and photos theories on Alma and everything. Or the Tupelac or the Golem or anything. You're filling in this something that goes out and does these other things. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You know, it's where Silent Bob is sending Jay Oli's vibes. Yeah, go do that. Right. And and then Jay goes and pokes the bear and the bear chases kind of thing. Other cognitive distortions, there's also a doppelganger bias. When people biased, you know, you're basically, if you see someone who looks like yourself, or actually, if you see someone you don't like who looks like someone else you don't like, you're biased against them, even if it's You instantly subliminal. don't like them just because they look like that person. Yeah. I've, I've had that before. Yeah. It's a Brown University neuroscientist. I've, I've had Feldman people Hall. like, yeah, I've had people like just be really nasty to me. I'm like, what's up with them? They're like, oh, you look like his cousin. But Deepak Chopra's back to that metahuman. I came across that Olaf Blank Metzger stuff with the transcranial currents that we're talking about. Oh, yeah. One of those things that they see, besides out of body experiences and hypnagogic stuff, is the doppelganger effect. So it's one of the clear tropes of when you get that transcranial stimulation to the brain, a doppelganger appears. You're even tying this into episode 11 on the Havana syndrome. Well, we it's can really use tying into everything. That one theory, you know, that one study, you know, that all, between Metzger and Olaf Blanc, it really ties into a lot of things because a lot of what we're talking about, these effects from out-of-body experiences to all that hypnagogic stuff, it's all kind of there. So yeah. it will be mentioned. It's like the God Helmet stuff, same idea. So another temporoparietal area that you know we can electrically stimulate we should do that before we do like we should instead of just weed 
we should try to uh, stimulate our temporal parietal. You want to give we... me electroshock therapy before we record, <laughs> Moss? Is that I, what you're I'm, saying? I'm licensed to to not do that. I'm down. I'm down. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Who well, needs a license? We don't yeah. need no stinking license. Yeah, I know exactly. I've seen it done. I mean, I've been in the same room when it happened. True I do. Story. Just give me a nine volt and some wires. I'll figure it out. Exactly. Hey, but this might also be why there's two Festers in the Am Family movie. Remember, use a doppelganger. Oh, light yeah. bulbs, transcranial stimulation. Light bulbs. I'm just That's making true, this connection dude. now. That was super doppelganger. That yeah. Adams family. So you got the light bulb. You got the electricity, and you've got two Festers. Yeah. One is probably festering. You know, he's an evil shaman. He's a sister. That fester. Definitely. Definitely. We do have to do a little depth psychology, and then we're going to wrap this up. Fester the sister. Exactly. Uh, that's, that rolls off the tongue nicely. Well, we will do an Adam's Family at some point. We'll break that down a lot more. A do lot do more. Do 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 do. Excuse me. Here's out of rank. He gets the ball rolling for the depth psychology side. This from Beyond Psychology by Out of Rank. Originally conceived as a guardian angel assuring immortal survival of the self, the double eventually appears as precisely the opposite, a reminder of the individual's mortality, indeed the announcer of death itself, thus from a symbol of eternal life and the primitive, the double developed into an omen of death. Heard a very similar quote in the beginning, kind of bringing it back home, that started with auto rank. And uh, by the way, the best auto rank quote ever is, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, for there are plenty of others. It's an important <laughs> one. And Freud built off Rank's themes, not the adultery ones. Actually, he did that too, but not for this one. This is from The Uncanny by Sigmund Freud. For the double was originally an insurance agent against destruction to the ego, an energetic denial of the power of death, as Rank says, and probably the immortal soul was the first double of the body. This invention of doubling as a preservation against extinction has its counterpart in the language of dreams, which is fond of representing castration by a doubling or multiplication of the genital symbol. The same desire spurred on the ancient Egyptians to the art of making images of the dead in some lasting material. It's coming so for you. Your, yeah. your skeptics part isn't really debunking anything. It's just putting a different spin on it. Well, this isn't the skeptic. This, this is back to depth psychology, but this, we talked a lot oh. of scully-muggly stuff right there. Capgrass yeah. syndrome is what they'd be saying. The God helmet is what they'd be saying. Yeah, but the, that's not saying it's not a thing. It's just saying, oh, well, what we, it could be. we have some potential explanations for that that yeah. don't. yeah go outside our typical yeah. box this is my way of not really doing the scully muggle part and just kind of i don't blame you i don't like those skeptics <laughs> no scully muggles just, can, but that is what they would be they saying. can pound sand yeah to put it nice Thank as you. nicely as I'm possible with i'm with you on that one but basically that's what they would be saying so we we didn't we didn't yeah, ignore no, them fair. entirely no, no i i appreciated that so. actually that was you know and freud uses the word uncanny to describe the doppelganger from the german word heimlich canny or familiar so the word uncanny becomes unfamiliar or strange or unheimlich. Fun unheimlich. fact. It's the not heimlich maneuver. Yes. This is this is my prepared joke. But that would mean jamming food down their throat. <laughs> so I'm glad you stayed with me on that one. Unheimlich also means hidden or concealed. So unheimlich is revealed, which is a good fit for the conscious and unconscious material we're talking about. Freud stresses the ego versus shadow component as well. This twin symbolizes that which is repressed into the unconscious, and sometimes some circumstances in real life or literature, as we've seen, because why? 
because art mimics life. Right. And, and, and the, life mimics art. And the Farnsworth paradox. The Farnsworth paradox. Says it all. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> then simply add extra helping of dream imagery and some repression, some doubles come out. And, and Freud calls it, by the way, your double, a thing of terror, which I thought was cool. Ooh. Not that dissimilar to those repressed complexes turned demon out on the tundra, those Cambrians or those Quivitox, or maybe even those Cherokee doubles. Yeah. Uh, Freud, too, describes almost existential crisis when confronting one's doppelganger, so much so that identifies can become confused by the boundaries. Where do you end? Where do they begin? I can see Very it breaking your brain. Our yeah. brain's not built to see ourselves outside of ourselves like yeah. that. It's and like, like can't literally bumping into yourself in yeah. real life. Like I can see how your brain would just completely fritz out on that. Yeah, that's that painting of the couples running into each other in the woods. And yeah. like, ah. For most of the old school depth psychologists, the double represents desire. And for young, the double is an archetypal projection of the unconscious mind. No surprise there. Young, it's your unknown face that must be brought to light as part of one's shadow. You're finding those darker elements in the psyche. We've been through this before, so just a little bit of young, and then we're going to wrap it up. Here's Samantha J. Cairo channeling young. Animism also plays a role in the concept of the double, as it did in the idea of the separable soul and the shaman. The principle of animism relates that if man lives and moves, it is because there is little man or little animal inside him who moves and moves him to action. Is the animal inside, the animal and the man inside the man that represents the idea of the soul? In animism, the soul may reside in inanimate objects such as plants as well as animals. Figures resembling primitive soul doubles are ghosts, vampires, werewolves, dolls, necromancy, the golem, and the robot, the mannequin, the thumbling, the homunculus, which are usually malignant and threatening figures. Wow, so we're really just the hamster wheel, and there's a hamster inside running us through the process. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, you know, that especially the automaton component of the double gang. We are just cogs in the machine, yeah, Moz. no free will, no free will. Here's some last young, and then we're going to get into wrapping up. The effect of projection is to isolate the subject from his environment, since instead of a real relation to it, there is now only an illusory one. Projections change the world into the replica of one's own unknown face. And that's from Carl Jung's Collected Works. You're collapsing the wave, Jeremy. You're just collapsing the wave, and that's... I think we are all just collapsed waveforms. Exactly. In ourselves. Yep. The Gnostics and early Christians believed Judas, which is the Aramaic name Judas the Twin. So Judas was Jesus' evil twin, which is why when we talked about that shapeshifter oh. thing back in that side trail, he's the only one who could identify him. Because he's his evil twin. Yeah. Oh, that, it makes so much sense. That's from the Jesus Mysteries, Timothy F-R-E-K-E, Freca, and Peter Gandhi. It's all very Da Vinci Code and Ishtadiva, isn't it? It's all this little... Yeah, kind of. You know, we're going to get deeper and darker into these things, and we're going to solve some of them. Spiritual consciousness theory, real quick. This from our Neil Jungian again, Sanford. It is the nature of the self, he notes, to unite the opposites, even the opposites of good and evil. For in the self, good and evil are indeed closer than identical twins. We hit on this theme already. The empirical self, light and shadow form a paradoxical unity. They can't exist without each other. Right, That's so when you try thing. to kill it, it ends up being 
backfires often. It's the, you know, there ha- you have to have bad days or what good are the good days? Yeah. If you didn't have bad by. days, the good days would be no difference. No you light, know? no dark, no dark, no light. Yeah. And then here's Thich Nhat Hanh. may seem like you are two separate identities, but if you look deeper, you will see that you are still one. So settling the dispute, restoring peace between you both is like restoring peace within yourself, within your own body. You and your child are of the same nature. You belong to the same reality. And that's from anger, Thich Nhat Hanh. Here's my Ahoguano. Oh, Ahoguano theory of the week. Oh no, here it comes. Quick. To the batshit signal. But if you try to tie us in with monsters and even use the amalgamation of all those depth psychology guys, come to this conclusion. This from Castaneda. Once it has learned the dream, the double, the self arrive at this weird crossroad and a moment comes when one realizes that it is the double who dreams the self. So you're not dreaming of your double the double. I think we've hit on that. That's like before. what I just said. We're the evil one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A different variation. But it's this for it's this familiar or unfamiliar, the Heimlich or the unheimlich. It's this line, the self-created boundary we create. This line we draw in the sand is where the problems begin in ourself. And that's yeah. where everything gets shoveled over to the other side. We have someone to blame that us and them stuff starts yeah, happening. Wow. Thus monsters are out of the boundaries, so the double as your monster is your monster is your double is also beyond that same boundary. It's the energetic and emotive difference between the two that will become most unsettling, like vibrational differences is kind yeah. of what's happening. He's, and then if you see the dark one, he's besting me, the jerk, you think it's a fetch or it's an omen. We always talk about the crossroads, and this one is the intersection where you your two halves meet, basically. Very momentous space-time moment when two identical entities physically yet sensing the difference energetically and spiritually meet, which is what comes to the essence of my Ahu Guano file today is that I think my counterpart is actually the asshole. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't think you were going to let me get away with that. No, but that thank you. I appreciate that. That, that makes me the asshole, right? Because I know that's true. Well, you could. Am, am I, are we, we're each other's Today, I guess we're right? playing the doppelgangers, the Wario brothers. The Wario. <laughs> the, the Mario to my Wario. That's straight doppelganger, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, so cool. I think you co-signed my shit I'll let you off the that. hook. Although, I think we are the evil ones now. I, I think the paradigm has <laughs> shifted. No. We have jumped to the, the, the darkest timeline. Yeah. Which makes the good the bad and the bad the good and everything's on its head. We're in bizarro world. There you go. I, I think we're happy there though. I have an Ahu Guano theory for you. All right. Shoot. I just thought of this during the episode. Nice. That's the way You're with right? the opposites. That's the way we do it. I think that Zan and Jaina of the Justice League are actually one person split into the 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 masculine feminine sides. You talking about the Wonder Twins? Yeah, Wonder Twin Unite. powers activate. Yeah, form of yeah. One okay. of them can turn into animals. Mm-hmm. One of them can turn into different types of water. Right. Elemental. Animal. Total. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 yaks over here male, and female. the elemental over here. Yeah. The male and female. I think they're one person. Yeah. That's split in two. They're one shaman. Mm-hmm. That actually bifurcated into its own doppelgangers. 
Yes. Yeah. The story mm. of Tetzalpaka and Quetzalcoatl also mimic that. Tetzalpoca. I don't know if they're actually called Quetzalcoatl until because they separate, and it's this dark entity and this lighter one, yeah. the snake and the serpent. And when they merge, they become the flying serpent, Quetzalcoatl, which becomes a god. Same there idea. you go. Same idea. Played out time and time again. Yeah. And more, and more, and more, and more, and more and, and what is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Immemorial. Thank you. Is that what it is? Good. I think so. I appreciate that. This from medicalnewstoday.com. Back to reality. From a geneticist standpoint, last Scully Muggle point, the researchers <laughs> found that nine. Sir Richard Scully Muggle, <laughs> skeptic review. You're, you're, you're full of crap. And that's the nicest thing that I can say. But here's from Medical News Today. The researchers found that nine of these 16 lookalike pairs had very similar DNA and labeled them ultra lookalikes. All nine ultra lookalikes paired shared 3,730 genes. Most of the shared genes are known to be associated with human facial features, bone and skin properties, and liquid retention. So we share the DNA with our double gangers, so, according to Medical News Today. Eat, today. Like com. they're straight up, the DNA is almost the same. Yes, and you are you are sharing DNA to wow. someone probably related to you at some point. You it know? would have to be, I would think. But yep, who the hell even knows at this point, man? And Scully Mulder believability scale. The Scully Mulder believability scale. They feel your methods, your theories are spooky. Do you think I'm spooky? Wait, why am I Scully? I believe ten out of ten that my my wretched evil other is after me. So, yeah, that's it. We'll With go. you, yeah, ten. He's, he's ten coming. doppelgangers. They're coming yeah. for us, man. I'm the evil one, though. Yep. Did I miss any segments? You forgot Mad Cujo's again. That's two episodes in a row, I think. Oh. Did you do a Mad Cujo's this week? I don't no. think you did. Hey, let's just give it to Negamaz, my evil twin, who's out there somewhere. Let's. Do lunch. Oh. Brunch. I think they did brunch in the movie. Mechamaz, wherever you are, this one's for you. Yeah. Ah, boy. Giving mad kujos to your own evil doppelganger? Negamaz, yeah. That's like scarier implications than when we gave it to Laika the cosmonaut. Yeah. Well, it ties into my Wolfman Puck, which is our next segment. Yo, Andre, sir. I cannot obviously munch on my doppelganger, so I'm just going to meet my doppelganger for brunch, and we're going to pair that with a Storyteller Brewing's doppelganger bock. It's a brewery out in Corona, California. It's heavy, rich ale that will match the conversation with my counterpart that we'll no doubt have hanging out for brunch. That's all I got. (laughs) So just brunch? Well, you're not supposed to eat the doppelganger's supposed to eat. Oh, if we both eat together, that's yeah. bad. So here's what I'm going to do All right. for my Wolfman Pucks. I'm listening. Is I'm going to show up to that brunch, <laughs> and I'm going to feed you to your negamaws. Oh. <laughs> this is like three times I've served you in this segment. You've and been I, served. And I will pair you with uh, the Devastator Bach from Uinta Brewing. Wow, I've never had that. It has a flaming flying goat yeah. on the front on the label. Uinta is, my, is my favorite Utah brewery. And it's a Bach. 
but it is not a Doppelbach because you use the Doppelbach. So see, oh, I, the Bach, Doppelbach, Bach, Bach, Doppelbach. You yeah. see what I'm doing there? I see that makes you the me. evil one again, which is why you're being fed to your double. Because so you're, you're the evil one. And I'm the double Bach. I think I explained myself. <laughs> I get it. I'm just trying to follow the beer and what's going to be paired with what. Right, the Bach and the Doppelbach. So the Doppelbach becomes the evil one, right? Yeah. So I'm the good one, and you're the evil one. So I win. Uh, I'm gonna. I get, haven't won one of these in a long time, Mark. <laughs> I'm gonna throw me a bone, you. dude. Throw me a bone. Gonna. I. I think you did win because you, nice. you blew my mind. A nice. Little bit. Back on top, baby. Winner's <laughs> circle. Yeah, Charlie Sheen version Oof. of winning. Yep. That was the deepest I've thought all this whole episode was for that. <laughs> that you put your thinking you cap on double. for that. Thank you for paying attention, sir. The Bach Doppelbach thing was the smartest thing I've done all day. That's the kind of day I'm yeah. having. Yeah, Bach at you. So. Oh, cool. boy. All right. Well done, Moz. Appreciate that. Looking forward to your side trail. That's a fun story. Everybody come along for that one. Wrap this up uh, before we go. If you get a chance to hit all those happy little fun buttons, like, subscribe, share, all that. If you got a minute to leave us a rating and review, that's most helpful in a lot of ways. We really do appreciate any time you put into it. We will be back in two days on February 29th with our Leap Day special. It won't be another one for four years, so make sure you check that out. And otherwise, we will be back next week with our typical Tuesday release. Until then... I forgot to ask. Anything to add or subvert before we go, Moz? Nega, Moz. Well done. Till then, have a good one, listener. Yeah, because it always does. It always does. Shut up!